0: Well, what a good song that is! Here I am to worship. Here, I am down. Have we done that today? Have we worshipped the Lord this morning? Have we worshipped the Lord before we got here this morning? If we haven't, we need to just remember that worship isn't something that is done at church only. Worship can be done in our cars. Worship can be done in our homes. Worship can be done walking from the parking lot to the. And worship is just admiring God, honoring God for what he's done in our lives. So if you would, just pray with me. Father, we just praise you this morning. Lord, we thank you for New Hope. We thank you for the the folks that are here, Lord. We ask that you would just uh, use this time to encourage somebody, Lord, to convict somebody, to build somebody up, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name that uh, your presence would continually be in this building. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit through the worship, We pray, Lord, for your continued presence. Father, we do lift up uh, Pastor Tackett and family and Ron and Tracy and the kids, Lord, as they travel north this afternoon. Father, we just ask for traveling. Mercies for them, Lord. We pray that the time away was used for refreshing, Lord, and uh, rebuilding each other. Lord, we just thank you again for that. We just ask for your Holy Spirit to move in this sanctuary this morning. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen amen well if you have your bibles turn to Jeremiah chapter 18 if you would please and we're going to talk today about the uh, the title of the message is called in the hands of the Potter and I absolutely love this story because if we if we read it at faith you, it tells us one thing, but if we co- apply it in context of how it, I believe it is designed to be applied, you'll see that it has everything to do with us, our relationship with God, and our lives. So, Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to go ahead and read that. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he had made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord, look, as the clay is in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel. And I'm going to back that particular passage up with Isaiah 64, verse 8. It says, But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are potter, and all we are the work of your hand. And what I love about this story, there's three dynamics to this story. We've got the potter, who is a representation of God himself, We've got the clay, who is a representation of us, and we have the wheel. Now, I believe the potter's wheel is a representation of life because we get on that wheel and we start spinning, and our lives can be spinning and spinning and spinning until we feel that it's out of control. But when we look at this analogy of the potter's wheel, I believe that just represents our lives. If we look at what clay is, when people purchase clay, And I'm not talking the the Play-Doh type that you get at Walmart, but if they buy the commercial-grade clay, a big box, and it's in a bag to keep the moisture in it, and it's just a lump, just a lump. has no purpose, can't do anything, serves no purpose until it gets formed and molded by the potter. Now, he can form it into many things, and I I appreciate Luke putting that picture up because that gives us a little bit of an idea of the three aspects. The hands will will represent God and the clay or the pot that's up there will definitely be representation of us. And again, the wheel would be our lives. So clay on its own has very little purpose. But when we mold the clay, clay has a purpose. It has something that it can be used for and it can be changed. It says here in the passage of Scripture that It was marred in the hands of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel. He didn't throw the clay away. He just squashed it down, remolded it, and formed it up to what he wanted it to be. And I believe that's what God does with us, that he will take us in our most raw form, and he will just have us on that wheel, and and with his loving hands, he'll form us, and he'll form us, and he knows the direction of our lives that they're going to go. But then... He looks down, it's like, you know what, i got different plans for him. And he squashes it back down, and he puts his hands on us again, and he mixes us up and makes us a big lump again. And then he forms us into what he wants us to be. And I believe if we, if we think in, in those terms that some of the trials that may be going on in our lives don't necessarily come from Satan like everybody wants us to believe, sometimes some of those trials in our lives may be God squishing us down to remold us in a different direction. When we think about it that way, if our hearts are open to that, we realize that you know what? Maybe God does have something through my struggles, through my loss, my job, through this that with God maybe maybe just trying to get my attention to slow me down so he can use me some other place. So if we if we put it in that perspective that God wants us on the wheel and to be soft and pliable, so here's my question. We're going to talk about four different types of clay today. My question to each one in here today, including myself, is what kind of clay are you? Are you the soft and moldable type clay? And I, I attribute this, this clay to the clay that's right out of the box. When, when it is so soft and you can cut it and you can mold it and you can form it, kind of like the day we all got saved. You know, we were soft. We were moldable. We were so open to what God wanted us to do. We would... You know, go out and we would tell people, I just got saved. Okay, great. What is that? I'm not real sure, but I got saved. I got Jesus in my heart. When we were soft and moldable on the day of salvation, we stepped out of our comfort zone. When we felt the prompting of the Lord that said, you know, Lord said, go out and, you know, give money to the homeless. Go out and pray for this person. When we were soft and moldable we wanted to be used by God, what would we do? Okay, I'd step out of my comfort zone for the kingdom. That's the soft and moldable. See, we didn't have all the answers or at least think we had the answers when we were that type of a clay. When we were soft and moldable, the day when we were a brand new believer, we would do whatever we felt the Lord was asking us to do. We wouldn't question it. We wouldn't ask why am I why why would I have to do that? I'm pretty important. I don't need to empty the garbage. Those questions didn't exist when we were that kind of a clay. When we were soft, we were moldable, we were pliable, we could be formed into the image of what God wanted us to be. That's what God wants out of us. He wants us to be that soft and moldable clay, the clay that will yield to His His uh, molding, that will yield to to the comfort zone that that we have, that we when we step out of it, or supposed to step out of it. But there's the clay that we're about that aren't necessarily the kind of clay that God wants. How about the dried out clay? See, that is the clay. If you take that clay in that box form and you just set it up here in the corner, you open it up and you leave it alone, it's going to dry out. That is the Christian that once had great faith or had faith in the savior, who decided he's not going to go to church anymore, who decided, you know what, I I don't think I need to follow God anymore. That's the lump of clay that we're talking about here, the kind that was soft and moldable at one point, but life got in the way. His troubles got in the way, and they overwhelmed him, and he decided it was all God's fault and he wouldn't come back to church. See, they've walked away from their faith. They may still attend church. They may you know, go out of obligation because you know, their spouse goes or what have you. Um, you know, you still like some of the people that are there, but they're no longer affected by the truth of God. That's the dried-out type of clay. And I believe that when we have those dried-out type of clay, that God just weeps for us because we were in the faith at one point, and for whatever reason, we turned our back on that. A couple passages of Scripture here. Second Peter tw- 2, verse 20 and 21 says for if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the lord and savior jesus christ they are again entangled in them and overcome the latter end is worse for them than the beginning for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having no to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them that's a pretty harsh statement but I want to read that same passage of scripture in the message. Now I'm not a real big fan of the message translation, but I think it works very well for, for understanding uh, a particular passage of scripture. So listen to that very same message in the message. Second Peter two, twenty, verses twenty one, or twenty through twenty-two. It says, If they've escaped from the slum of sin by experience our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then slid back into that same old life again, they're worse than if they had never left. Better not to have started out on a straight road to God than to start out and then turn back, repudiating the experience and the holy command. The word repudiating means deny or reject. So it's better not to have started out on a straight road to God than start out and then turn back, denying the experience and the holy commandment. What is the scripture saying? He's saying that it is better for you to have never known Jesus Christ than for you to know Jesus Christ and turn your back on him. He is saying that it is better for you to just completely ignore Christ than it is to say you know Christ, follow Christ, and then completely turn your back on him. Last passage of scripture that will back this up is in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. This is Jesus speaking. It says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Those are extremely harsh words coming from Christ. Again, he's saying, don't play with me. I either need you all in or not at all. I don't need you dabbling your toes in the water just to see how, how it's going to work out. He's telling us that since you're, you're lukewarm, I am going to vomit you. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, that brings a heck of a visual, though. You know, when you, when you get something that's foul or something, what's the first thing? That's what Jesus is saying to us. If we turn our back on him after we have walked with him. Very, very dramatic phrase there. But I believe that when it comes to the kingdom of God, sometimes we need those dramatic visual pictures just to understand what he's trying to get to us. Listen to uh, what C.H. Spurgeon, who is a preacher back in the 1800s, what he had to say about the backslider. It says, remember, if you are a child of God, you will never be happy in sin. You are spoiled for the world, the flesh, and the devil. When you were regenerated, there was put into you vital principle which can never be content to dwell in the dead world. You will have to come back, here's the key word to this whole phrase, if indeed you belong to the family. He's telling us that when you got saved, you're never going to be happy in sin. You shouldn't be happy in sin. You should be convicted of your sins, and then when the conviction comes, you need to deal with that. But this principle back in the 1800s, 200-some-odd years ago, when we talk about living in sin and the Christian that is walking with the Lord or was walking with the Lord and he let sin get back in their lives, that's what he's talking about here. If you are a child of the God, you'll never be happy in sin. So I just challenge you today. If you're happy in your sin and you know you're walking in sin, are you a child of the Most High God? Listen to this. The poet and hymn writer Francis Ridley Havergill states it plainly. An avoidable absence from church is an infallible evidence of spiritual decay. Now, this isn't talking about my kid's got a soccer game on Sunday morning. This isn't talking about guilty. I'm going camping next week. This does not reflect that. This is the, the avoidable absence. is, You know, I don't feel like going to church today. And then just like anything else in life, once you do it once, Easier to do it a second time, in a third time, in a fourth time. Before you know it, you haven't been in church in six weeks and you really don't feel like going back. Why? Because they're going to wonder where I've been. Get in the way of, of repentance and wanting to come back into church. You know, anytime we have a conversation with, with uh, alcoholics or, or drug addicts, they can pinpoint to that one certain moment in their time when they started out on what was. And I've said a couple times that, uh, you know, when I spoke up here that my history was that of an alcoholic. And I can remember the very first time I had a drink in my hand because my dad gave it to me at the age of 13 because a young man that I went to school with killed himself and I was a mess. And dad said, here, have a beer. It'll make you feel better. Now, did that one beer cause me to become an alcoholic? Not particularly. Did it have everything to do with it? I absolutely believe that because in my life and in my own mind, I was able to take that mental picture of I feel bad, have a beer. And I used that for the rest of my life, that any time things were bad for me, I would go get drunk. See, it wasn't that first particular one that caused it, but that had lasting effects because I had the first one, and then the second, and then the third, and then by the time you get you know, into it, you realize that you're on a road that you don't need to be on. The same with the, with people that are addicted to drugs. You can probably pinpoint it to the first time you got high. You liked it. You enjoyed it. And then what happened? You did it again. And then you're seeking the bigger and the better buzz. And then you're a mess. And then you're an addict. You've lost your job. You've lost your family. You have nothing to turn to. It's the, the first one, which leads into the second one, which leads into the third one. Same with missing church on a regular basis. It's the first time... You Sunday because you know what I just don't feel like it. it's nice out there. I'm going golfing and then the next one is somebody invites you to go fishing Yeah I can go and then the third one rolls around and you got an opportunity to go you know watch Ohio State play And then pretty soon you've been out of church for 4 weeks and you don't want to come back because you're worried about what people are going to say because you haven't been there One step leads to another So that's what the poet is talking about when she says an avoidable absence from church is an infallible evidence of spiritual decay. So can this person become moldable again? Well, yes, they can. They can come to God with a repentant heart and seek Him and His face. And when we come with a repentant heart, then we can return back to that moldable clay that God wants from us. How about this one here? The third type of clay we're going to talk about. This is the clay that is kind of moldable, but it's it's lacking moisture. It's the kind been out there, and it's been molded, and it just doesn't keep getting that replenishment of moisture that's in the clay. If you notice it, if you watch any video of, the, of clay, there's usually moisture or water bottles somewhere where the guy will put his hands in, get his hands wet, and he'll be able to form the pot. That's the kind of clay. Why does he get his hands wet? because it started to dry out a little bit. And I believe there's a lot of Christians today that are this type of clay. It's got moisture in it. You've got your faith. You know Jesus Christ, but we'll refer to this one as the lazy Christian. This is the guy or the gal that comes into church on Sunday because they want to hear from God, and they expect to hear from God, but when they walk out the door, they don't think. They don't pray. They don't face. They don't get into the word. They're saved. They know they're going to heaven, but they're not filling themselves with God's holy word to keep them soft and pliable. It's kind of like going into a restaurant. You know, a lot of us go out to eat after, after church. And, you know, if I go into uh, get invited to go to Texas Roadhouse with, with Junior and Renee, and, and we go in there and I walk through the door, it's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm happy. Am I? I'm not eating anything. I didn't order anything. I haven't even been seated. Am I happy just to be in the door? No. I want to eat the steak. So this type of a Christian should not be happy just to walk into church. I said a prayer. I got on my knees with a repentant heart. And I said, Jesus, come into my life. That's not the end of your walk, friends. That is the beginning of your walk. Because when we do that, when we become the lazy Christian, we're not all that much different than the dried-out Christian we talked about that turned their back on God. Because God doesn't want part-time believers in his kingdom. He wants full-time servants. And when we only give God an hour and a half on Sunday mornings, he's not pleased with that. He wants us to get some of that water in us so he can mold us. There is plenty of Christians out here that God cannot do anything with because they refuse to be moldable. Would you agree with that? They know best. Their plan is better. I know what my plan is. When I've laid out my business strategies in my life. I know what steps I'm going to take. Well, what are you doing on Sunday? Well, I'm going to church. But you put all your faith in yourself and your own deeds versus relying on what God has for you. So if you think our plan is better... Then I got a problem with that. Because I know I have tried to step out and, and do things on my own without seeking God's guidance, and they failed miserably. We talked about that in men's Bible study this morning. That, uh, you know, when we do things on our own, we fail miserably. But when we adhere to God's plan, that's when we continue to grow. So, is that clay, can it become moldable again? Yes, it can. It needs a little bit of moisture, and that moisture can be found by the living waters of Jesus Christ and the living waters only. When we let the Holy Spirit pour over us and get that moisture that's needed in us, that's when God can work in us. That's when God can mold us and make us into what He wants. When we talk about water and living water, the living water, is, or the, word, the phrase water in the Bible, is generally used as a reference or a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus tells us in John chapter 7 that he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's encouraging. It says, he who believes in me, I will fill you with my Holy Spirit. And out of your spirit will the water, the living waters, the presence of the Holy Spirit be. That's encouraging. Because now we know that if we're a little crusty and we're lacking some moisture and we're, we're battling with God a little bit and we're just content to be in the kingdom of God, that we can also change that. By seeking his face and repenting. The potter doesn't throw away the flawed pieces. He works them into the finished product, however means necessary. If you see pictures of a potter in his wheel, you'll see that he's got he's knives. Got see he's got things to cut up, things to smooth them out with. And I believe that God does that too. But those knives and those things that are cutter may look like something different. When we're on we talked about that just a minute ago. But when we're on, on the, the wheel of life being spun around and our health breaks down and we may lose our job or I'm involved in an auto accident or I got a flat tire, we need to stop looking at those things as oh, that Satan just beat me up. Maybe God has a plan and a purpose for that and he's just cutting off a piece of you so he can remold it into something better. There's a thing going around Facebook not too terribly long ago about, you know, why, God, why did you cause my alarm clock not to work? And why did you do this? And on and on and on. And God's response was, well, I caused your alarm clock not to work. That way you'd be five minutes late and you'd miss a fatal accident on the road that you traveled to. You know, why did you give me a flat tire? Well, there was, you know, something like that. We always look at the negative. We are a negative society. And it absolutely sickens me to see that because every time... Put a post on Facebook one time. How quick is somebody going to the negative on it? All the time. Talk to somebody at work about something about your work. And how often do people go to the negative? It's easier to do. And we're more content to do that. So what if we can change our thought process on that just a little bit and realize that those things, that flat tire, that alarm clock that caused me to be late for work, is not necessarily of the devil. That maybe God's slowing you down just a little bit to get your attention. I know we've got some stories that are from people here that when we were all, we needed slow down correctly. So I think that we need to look at it from that perspective versus oh, I can't believe that this is happening to me. How about, okay, God, what's your plan? The last type of clay I want to talk about, and this is the most dangerous clay of all. See, it's the one that has these air pockets on it. It looks good on the outside. It's nice and shiny. It's very, very symmetrical. But it's got air pockets inside it. And when it's heated up, the whole thing explodes. Because when you put heat into something with air pockets, it causes pressure to expand. And it explodes. See, this is the believer... Who looks like they have it all together? They're the believer that's inside the church every time the doors are open, regardless of what's going on. And anytime you ask them, "Hey, how you doing?" Oh, I'm too blessed to be. They've got all the right answers. They're here all the time. But there's a hidden sin that's working in their lives that you don't know about. That they're in there hiding. And when the pressure hits, when the heat hits that person, all of that stuff that's inside is going to come out at some point. And they're going to be be absolutely horrified at what comes out because they have portrayed a life of perfection to their friends, to the church, to their work even. Listen to this passage of Scripture in Matthew 23, verse 26 through 28. It says, blind Pharisee. First cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness some harsh words. He tells us that we need to cleanse the outside of the cup. Sorry, I brought my coffee cup with me this morning. The outside of the cup. Outwardly, we appear righteous to men. But inwardly, we look like this. You see, outside, this looked like a coffee cup. How many of you guys thought, I can't believe he's getting ready to drink his coffee on stage? Outwardly it's a good cup. Outwardly it's the Christian that's in church every day and he says all the right things and the pastor thinks he's just an absolute saint, but inside he looks like this coffee cup. That's what hidden sin will do to us. This is what hidden sin will will turn our inside to. See, we can mask the outside and the inside still be a mess. But Scripture tells us clean the inside and then the outside will be clean. Clean first, and then people will see that you're real and you're genuine. When we clean the outside and don't worry about the inside, we're asking for trouble. Because I don't know about you, but I would never drink out of this. And I don't know anybody that wants to hang out with a person that's like this. Because there's something about being a phony that people just cannot stand. And when it comes to that, we talked about that also in... Bible study this morning. The word hypocrite comes out. Those are definitely harsh words, but they're accurate. They're definitely accurate. So that's the, the last type of clay. There's a type of clay that looks on the outside, but inside they're just a mess. When it comes to that, the hidden sin, hidden sin is not a game. Hidden sin will destroy your life from the inside out. Hidden sin will mess up your relationship with God, will mess up your relationship with your family, your relationship with your friends, all because we have that sin that for whatever reason, we don't want to give it to God. We don't want to repent and ask for forgiveness. We don't want to to humble ourselves and seek His face and tell God, God, look, i got a problem. God knows what our problem is already. We're not hiding anything from him. The hidden sin comes and we try to hide it from our congregation, from our friends, from our family. Listen to this couple of scriptures here. In Matthew 10, verse 26, it says, Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Jesus is telling us that I know what's going on. You can hide it, but it's gonna ha- people are going to know about it. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. He who covers his sin will not prosper. Do you want a prosperous life based on God's word? He's telling us we cannot have that hidden sin in our lives. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 23 says, But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. You see, hidden sin is probably the number one destructing force I think today, because when we have hidden sin in within our church walls, there's people that have their own agenda, and their own agenda is what? To hide my sin from pastor, to hide my sin from the deacon, the trustees, when you're when you're actively trying to hide the sin that you're living in, you can't be focusing on God. You're worried about your hidden sin. You're not worried about what God thinks about it. If you would, you wouldn't have that hidden sin and you would be able to repent of it. So what happens after the molding process? We've got the lump. We've got the clay that's been formed. The potter's sitting back and he's looking at it and he says, you know what, that looks pretty good. So what what do they do after that? And throw it in the fire is what they do. You see, the potter molds it. He gets it to where he likes it. And then he turns up the heat on it. We use heat for a lot of things in this world. We use heat to strengthen something. The glass is tempered through that. Steel is tempered through that. The heat process, we also purify. We boil water to get the impurities out. Metals, precious metals, we, we put them on the, the heat. And then we boil the, the impurities out of them. So when we see the heat process, it's not necessarily a bad thing because once we go into the fire, once we're molded where God wants us to and we start getting in the trials of life, putting us into the fire, if we're solid, if we're the type of moldable, when we go into those fires, we will stand that test. But if we're the type that was kind of lacking on the water, that has the air pockets, the first thing we put in there. The fire, the heat comes, and that's going to explode. Now, what does that look like to us if we can't relate that to, uh, to the actual potter? If I'm the, the type of Christian that has those air pockets and the hidden sin, you know, I may be going fine, but something's real bad about to happen in my life that's going to make the heat in my life go up. You know, I may lose my job. I may get ill. My wife may come in and say I want a divorce. Those are the fires. That's where the heat comes from. And how you respond to that is surely going to affect your next step. When you're in the heat, if you let those things fester and blow up, you know what's going to happen. That's how people get killed. That's how road rage happens. When those people that have stuff sitting inside of them, when all of a sudden something doesn't go their way and they absolutely explode and they lose their mind, that's what's going to happen. But if we're that type of clay that has plenty of the living waters living inside of us, we don't have to worry about that. Because when the heat gets up, we can just absorb it, learn from it, fix our mistakes, and move on. See, fire is another symbol of the Holy Spirit. That indicates the presence of God. If you go to, uh, we're not going to go there, but Exodus chapter 3 talks about the burning bush is another example of one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit. So when we go into the fire, we're going to get strengthened, and we're going to get purified as well. So when a purified state comes, anybody ever purify metal before? No? Or lead or anything like that, melted it up? When a a refiner is refining gold, he'll put it in, in, in the pot, and he'll put the heat on it, and this metal will start to boil, and the impurities will come to the top, and when He keeps skimming the impurities off. He's skimming the impurities off. And then when he looks down and he can physically see his appearance in the gold, that's when he knows that that gold is pure. But it takes the heat process to get to that point. It takes the heat process to get the impurities bubbled up and to scoop them off. And I believe a lot of that is how we react to stuff too. When we go into the heat, our impurities are going to surface to the top. There's a whole bunch of passages of Scripture that talk about anger, and we're not going to go there now, but but anger in itself is not a sin. God tells us, in your anger, do not sin. It's a God-given emotion. So the, the anger that could come up when we're put into the fire and how we react to it is what God's looking at. So we just talked about the refiner and the gold, and when he heats it up, he skims off the impurities. When he looks in there and he sees his reflection, that he knows it's pure. And I believe that God does that to us too. Because when he turns up the heat on our lives, and he scoops out the impurities of our lives, and he looks into that basin of our lives, when he sees the reflection of Jesus Christ, then he knows we're pure. If he doesn't see that reflection, he needs to keep cleaning us, he needs to keep the heat up. He needs to keep scooting the garbage off of us. But when he sees his refl- the reflection of his son, Jesus Christ, in us, then we're free. Per- then we're free. And we can follow him. So when we face the heat, we can respond in two ways. We can embrace the process. Or we can turn our back on God. I believe that the latter probably happens more than the former. I believe that it's, we have so many opportunities to turn our back on God when we think bad things are going to happen. And I have a in my life about that as well. I got saved in 1989. And I was a, uh, a lone ranger Christian, which didn't work out at all. But um, by that I mean I thought I could do what I wanted to do when I wanted to. And in 1993, and I was so mad at God for that that I stopped going to church. I stopped doing everything. And in my mind, it said, "I said, if God's going to take my mother at the bright old age of 52 years old, nothing to do with this guy, nothing." And that's when I turned to the alcohol portion. See. I responded in the way I think a lot of people do, where they turn their back on God. We like to blame God for the bad things in our lives, instead of embracing it like I should have and saying, you know what? My cousin led my mom to the Lord on her deathbed. Oh, she's going to heaven, longer in pain. That's how I should have responded. But I think that I responded in a way that a lot of us do, that we blame God and we get mad at God and we turn our backs on God. And who does that hurt? That hurt to us it causes us to be bitter for the longest time and bitterness if, if I'm if I get mad at pastor and I'm bitter towards pastor I mean it may hurt him for a little bit the church and five years later he's forgotten all about Todd he don't even know who I am but I'm still chewing on that what good did that do that gave me five years of misery to chew on the bitterness talked about bitterness quite some time ago but let's just face it. We're going to have trials in life, aren't we not? We're going to have struggles. What we, re- do, How we respond to that is definitely what God's looking for. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's telling us right there. He's calling a shot. You're going to have problems, folks. He says, if you think you're going to live in a perfect world, you're not. In this world, you will have trouble. Listen to what James chapter 1, verse 12 says. It said, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For when he has stood the test, what is the test? The test of the trials, you will receive the crown of life that is promised to those who are in Christ Jesus. He's telling us, Blessed is the person that perseveres under those trials. What trials? The ones that Jesus told us in chapter John chapter 16 that we're going to have. So here's the question. Where are you as the clay? Started the message off with what type of clay are you? Are you the soft and moldable one? Are you the completely dried out one? Are you the one that needs a little more of the living water that can only be found through Jesus Christ to get back moldable? Or are you the perfect one with the, the air pockets in it? Do you realize that God has a plan and is working in your life? Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of hope, to give you a future and a hope. See, God's got a plan for each one of our lives. We just have to seek it. We just have to be moldable. We just have to be willing to listen when he speaks. And I believe it's God's will for us to find that plan. Do you find yourself submitting to God's plan? Or do you find yourself struggling to submit to Him and thinking that your plan is better? Maybe you're here this morning and you have never made that confession of faith. That you have never sought Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Maybe you're the dried out clay that needs to get back to recommit your life to Christ. To say, you know, Lord, I have been playing church. I don't want to play church anymore. I want to be the church. Maybe you're here and that's part of something that's going on in your world. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, To repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Regardless of where you're at in life, regardless of what you've done in your past, regardless of what you've done this morning, when we come to Christ with a repentant heart, it says here we can be converted, that our sins will be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Anybody need refresh today? The Bible is very clear that without repentance we cannot see the kingdom of God. So I'm going to ask the team to come, and as we sing a closing song, I'm just going to ask if there's anybody here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, or if you've been struggling with the things of life, you've been on that potter's wheel, and you don't understand why, understand why things are happening to you a certain way, you don't understand that God has a plan and a purpose, I would ask you just to come up here as they sing and get right with God. God already knows your heart. God knows your struggles. God knows that he wants to be part of those struggles with you. A lone ranger Christian serves nobody any good. So let's pray. Father, we just lift up your holy name. Lord, I just pray now that if there's anybody in here today that needs that relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, that you would just get them up off of their seat, Lord, bring them forward to the altar, and they could come boldly before the throne of grace and seek forgiveness and seek repentance. Father, those that may be here that uh, are just struggling right now with their faith, struggling with right and wrong, struggling with following you on a dedicated level, Lord, we just pray for them as well. We ask that you would just use this time and the music, Lord, to, to move them from their seats as well, Lord. I ask that uh, if there's those that don't want to make come up here and make that confession, Lord, that they can do it right where they sit, Lord. Prompt them to talk with you. So, Father, we thank you again for today. We just give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.